All right, good morning again, Hill family. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3 is where we will be. As you're turning there, I'd ask you to consider how celebration often serves as an invitation. My family often enjoys going down to the Bayfront on Coronado and renting one of those five-person, six-person bikes. I've done that before on a nice day and riding up the Bayfront. I especially enjoy that when both of my older boys come now because they can carry the load of the pedaling for me. Um, on one of those trips, though, as we were pedaling towards the Coronado Bridge, we noticed a small crowd uh, beginning to gather, some carrying signs and banners. and We didn't think a whole lot of it at first <clears throat> until on the way back. We noticed the crowd was much larger um, and much more energetic when we came back. By now, a clear sense of excitement, and um, it had really marked this gathering of people, and we wondered, what are they doing? And then about the same time as we were kind of passing by them, the excitement of the crowd sort of spilled over into celebration. Women holding signs and children all began screaming and shouting, and we looked around, there was even people with tears coming down their face. My family uh, was drawn into the excitement, curious to know what was going on. What were these people praising and why were they so excited? And then as we followed uh, kind of the gaze of the crowd, we learned what was going on, what we were actually in part of. On the distant horizon, the bow of a, of a Navy vessel was heading our way. And the joy, excitement, and praise of this crowd, which we were right in the middle of now, was due to family members welcoming home family members, moms, dads, siblings. And as the ship went by, I couldn't help but join in. The adoration was contagious. Uh, Though I didn't know a single person on that ship, though I didn't know any family represented, I was compelled to take part in what was going on in that moment. I began praising, cheering, clapping. Our whole family joined into the celebration. It was a great moment. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 this morning. All of us are going to, might we say, stumble upon a similar scene of great celebration and praise by the Apostle Paul. And it's one that should invoke our curiosity. Why? For what reason does the Apostle Paul seemingly, unexpectedly burst into this magnificent praise here? And by answering that question, though, we're also at the same time invited in to join in this scene of praise for who God is and what He has done for His people. And this morning, in particular, for us as His people, the Hill Church, over the last five years. So we're going to remember God's work in our church this morning from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, by praising Him for His limitless power and His unending glory in His Son. We're going to remember God's work in our church, the Hill Church, by praising Him this morning for His limitless power and unending glory in His Son, the Lord Jesus, our Savior. Put your eyes on verses 20 and 21. Apostle Paul, bursting forth under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 
It says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Father, even up until this moment, it's been a sweet time to reflect, to thank you. My heart's full. But now, God, we get to feast on your word. Let us not just leave in reflection, not just in celebration for something in the past, and not just in celebration for what we're taking part in now, but in, in a confident celebration for what you will do in the future. We love you, Lord. Holy Spirit, be with us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our text this morning, two verses, is a doxology. It's an anthem. It's a shout of praise on behalf of the apostle. And it's the second such section in the letter. Paul opened in chapter 1 with a prayer, with a praise, a doxology, outlining God's great global plan of redemption in Jesus Christ. The rest, from the end of chapter 1 up into verse 19 of chapter 3, expounds on the truth of that great reality he opened up with. And our two verses this morning really form the, the climactic conclusion of Paul's rich theological section he jumped into in the beginning of Ephesians. And even that in itself reminds us, church, how theology, right Thoughts concerning God are inextricably bound up with doxology, praise of our God. To know God rightly is to praise Him passionately. And to praise God passionately demands us knowing Him deeply. So from these two verses, I want to, us together collectively this morning praise God for both His limitless power His unending glory. So first we praise God for His limitless power. These two verses come at the close of, we might could say, one of the boldest prayers ever uttered in our Bibles. Look back at verse 14. Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul prays that we might be filled with all the fullness of God, a staggering statement by the apostle. What is actually going on here? Like, has the apostle just gotten a bit carried away as he's writing and kind of burst out in hyperbole? Were the Ephesians actually to take Paul serious here? Like, were, are we this morning to believe that in fact, we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Church, I want to say to you that we can and we must because of whom this prayer and this anthem of praise is aimed at. Paul repeats it twice in verses 20 and 21. 
Paul's subject matter is defined, brothers and sisters. He says, to him, now to him in verse 20. And then in verse 21, to him. We have to be clear about what we are declaring when we say, now to him. Paul speaks in no generality here. This is not to him in the sense of some general idea concerning God. Or to Him in the modern sense of us determining who we think God is or how He should be. Now behind this little phrase, now to Him, is the defined, definite, and unique understanding of God's power and His glory in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Paul praises Him. The God of our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, chapter 1. Paul prays to Him who has chosen us before the foundation of the world. To Him who, is, who in love has predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters. To Him who has purchased our redemption through the blood of His Son. To Him who is uniting all things, He says, things in both heaven and things on earth, through Jesus our Savior, our King. Paul praises Him who brought our dead corpses to life through the resurrection power of His Son, who saved us and created us into His masterpiece, the one who is our peace, who has reconciled us together as one new man through the cross. Paul addresses Him who has taken strangers and aliens and made us citizens of His household, members of His church, to be a display of His manifold wisdom and the mystery of the gospel to rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That is who the apostle praises, to Him. And because of this, Paul prays, now to Him who is able to do. Church, we pray, we praise an all-powerful, active God. He is never constrained, never forced to act in any way outside of who He is and how He has decided to act. He is able, and in fact able to do far more abundantly than we could ever ask or even imagine. Paul stretches his language here to its limits. He says God is able to do far more abundantly, immeasurably more, infinitely more than we could ask or think. What is he saying? In other words, for the Christian, it's impossible to ask too much from our God because His power to give far exceeds our capacity of asking or even imagining. And yet His power is clarified here. Paul says, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. And what is this? Well, Paul just told us in verse 16 when he prayed, According to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The Apostle Paul speaks nothing for a prosperity preacher here. There is no name it and claim it 
anywhere for the Apostle Paul. Paul is speaking here of the transforming power of the gospel administered to us, his people, through the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying here. Based upon God's limitless power in the gospel, administered through the work of the Holy Spirit, God is able to do far more abundantly beyond anything we could ask, anything we could wrap our minds around. (coughs) The question is, do we believe that? Do you believe God to be as powerful as Ephesians 3.20 says He is? Do you believe He is able to do in your life and in this church more than you could ask or imagine? Or do you often do what I do and determine there are certain things in my life, in your life, God is unable to deal with. Maybe it's a specific sin you're wrestling with. Only you know about, you're struggling with. Maybe it's a past mistake you've made that you won't let go. Maybe it's a relational hardship that you're unwilling to deal with. Maybe it's prayers you haven't seen God answer yet that lead you to decide That's beyond God's ability. Are you, by your lack of belief in God, limiting His limitless power in your life? We're all good at determining what we believe God can't use us for, right? We're all good at thinking we can determine the things in life we just can't do for His kingdom. But the Apostle is telling all of us that we need to turn our gaze from ourselves this morning, which is what Paul is applying to the power source of the Christian. We praise the God who is able to do far more than we could ask or think in our lives, in our kids' lives, in our families' lives, in our friends' lives, and yes, in fact, in this church. God is able, brothers and sisters. I read a recent story. It was actually by a preacher, so take it for what it's worth. It was a story of a a young man who had really come to a desperate place in life, and he was begging on the streets, eking out a living. And I think the story was that his dad was out looking for him, kind of knew the vicinity, so was out in the area just trying to figure out where he was, and One day, this man who had been begging touched another man's shoulder and said, Sir, can you spare me some change? And as soon as he saw the man's face, he realized it was his own father, whom he hadn't seen for years. He quickly replied, Father, Father, do you know me? His father grabbed him, threw his arms around him with tears in his face and said, Oh, my son, I found you. I found you. Some spare change? All that I have is yours. Church, by God's grace, we've made it to year five. That's honestly not a small task in church planning. That doesn't happen for many churches. That didn't happen for many churches who went through the pandemic. Some in this room have been here, as mentioned, long before 2018. 
Some moved with my family. Everyone, though, has labored. Everyone's prayed faithfully, labored hard, loved deeply to see this day come about. And I thank you for your faithfulness. You are dear to me. I'm asked often, what are what makes church planning? What's the most difficult part of church planning? And I always answer the same way. What's most difficult about it is the most beautiful part about it. The most difficult part about it is you go and you're called to do something. You don't know anybody. But the beautiful thing is five years later, people whom you did not know are deep, intimate family with you. Some of you whom I'm looking at did not know Jesus five years ago. A few of you were hostile to Jesus. Our brother who led us in the corporate reading of Scripture was hostile to Jesus. And Jesus won his heart. And we baptized him. And he read the word. Though we were dead, alive in Christ, You were baptized here. Many of you became family in the gospel. We've seen God's immeasurable power at work in us, church. Don't take that for granted. Don't forget that. Year five, we praise God. The room is full. We're financially stable. No small thing. We're praying about how to expand our ministry. But with that even comes the challenge I want to lay before you. The challenge is this. That we would not, at this point, settle for asking God for spare change when He is prepared as our Father to give us all things. And that's the primary application of this text. It's to the church. It's corporately. Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus, when you look upon the horizon, you should pray with confidence. That's for everyone in this room, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter the difficulties, the insurmountable things you see in front of you, or what's out in front of you, we should pray with confidence that God will do far more than we could ever ask or think because He's already done it. Paul is saying, look around you, church. And I'm going to be awkward to you this morning. Look around you, church. I'm not going forward until you do it. Look around you, church. You were all dead in your trespasses and sins. You were all following the course of this world. Captivated. By the powers of darkness. Children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were all strangers and aliens. Cut off from the promises of God. Hostile towards one another. But God in accordance to His power at work within us. Through the gospel. He did what we could never do. He's done what we could never imagine. He's raised us to life in Christ. He's birthed us by the Holy Spirit. 
He's forgiven us. He's washed us by the blood of His Son. And He's made us family. One to the other in the Gospel. He's provided us an eternal inheritance in Him. Church, might we allow the last five years to embolden our faith Not to simply ask God to move in our church based upon our limited perspective of what we determine He's able to do. But according to His limitless power, which has saved us, and which He's made available to us in the Gospel. We're here remembering, looking back upon the story God has written throughout the generations in this church. And we praise Him for His limitless power. We also... We praise Him for His unending glory. Verse 21 says, To Him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Glory speaks of honor, greatness, worth, value, weight that belongs to God alone, rightly ascribed to Him. And the fullness of God's glory is displayed in the person and work of His Son. Speaking of Jesus, John tells us, We have beheld His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Apostle Paul, late earlier in 2 Corinthians 4, tells us, speaks of the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So we know this. But now notice here, how Paul intertwines God's glory in Jesus Christ with His glory in us, the church. It's an incredible statement regarding the significance of who God has made us in His Son. We're the church of Jesus Christ. We're the community of God's redeemed, both Jew and Gentile. We are the masterpiece of His grace. We are the realm of His presence and authority on earth. We are the instrument through which the mystery of the gospel is being made known in the world and in the heavenly realms, Paul says. Psalm 19 tells us that the the heavens declare the glory of God. Yes, Paul is saying here that the heavens declare pale in comparison to the glory of God bursting forth in His people, the church. God's glory is inextricably bound up with His people, the church. Jesus is the head. We are the body. Jesus is the groom. We are His bride. Jesus is the shepherd. We are His flock. The two cannot be pulled apart. You cannot have one without the other. It's impossible to have a high view of Jesus and a low view of His church. The glory of God is in the church because the church is in Christ, His Son. Pastor Sand said something of the utmost importance in that video. He said, quote, When you see God doing something, it's worth it. It's worth every tear. It's worth every prayer worth every pain. It's worth it. You know, we can stand here today and act like every moment in this process over the last five years has been an easy one, but we would be not being honest this morning. There's been challenges in our church, relational challenges. Each one of our 
stories. There's people who were here five years ago who are not here anymore. They're in glory. Some of us lost dear family members along the way. It's been hard. Sacrifices have been made by everyone in the room. But it's worth it. Because of what's at stake. The glory of God in the church of Jesus Christ. Which is that glory that extends throughout this life in all generations into eternity forever and ever, the apostle says. Brothers and sisters, I don't have to tell you that our world is captivated by glory. Glory of entertainers, musicians, athletes, world figures. But all I have to do is have a conversation with my kids concerning the glory of my favorite childhood stars and the blank stare on their faces speaks to just how short-lived that glory in this world is. But the glory of God in the church is for all eternity. Forever and ever. And Paul puts a period on it by saying, Amen. To be a part of the church To be a believer in Jesus Christ is to have your feet firmly planted in eternal value and glory. The infinite glory of God, the eternal weight of God is found in His church because His church testifies, bears witness to His Son. Church, that means... Nothing we do as a church is insignificant because of who God has made us. That means every gathering we have, every worship service, every prayer meeting, every community group gathering, every outreach event, every hard conflict resolution within our church, everything we do together is significant. Because of the glory of God in the church and in Jesus Christ. We are trophies of God's glory. We are a community of the redeemed. God will be glorified in His church. Christ came and redeemed His church to make that possible. God is glorified though in the church... Only when the church embraces its identity and relies upon its true resource. That's really what Paul's prayer has been. Verse 17, he prays that God, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what? The breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul's prayer is that the center of the church would be the gospel. The power and the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So when the gospel is at work in His people, in the church, God is glorified in the church because the world has to conclude there's a different power at work. There's a different glory at work amongst those people. So brothers and sisters, we remember what God has done over the past five years. We are God's people, set apart for His glory by the transforming power of the gospel. And we praise Him for that. 
We praise Him for His limitless power, His unending glory in His Son. If you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. Maybe you were brought along. Maybe you're visiting this morning. I want to make clear what I've already said. We're Christians not because we try hard and do religious things together. We're Christians because we were dead in our sin and God brought us alive together through the work of Christ. He died. He bore our punishment on the cross and died in our place as our substitute. And we've received His forgiveness by faith in Him. And He's set us free, made us alive, given us an eternal heritage in Him. You do that today. Place faith in Christ. Confess your sins to Him. Find what it means to be a Christian today. And what it could mean to be a part of a church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And put your feet firmly in a place of eternal glory and worth. We're going to pray. And then we're going to... It's another video. If that one didn't make you cry, I've heard this one will. And I want you to turn around in your heart and your mind who Christ is, what He's done for you personally, and what He's done in our church and different places that you've come along the way. Because if you've been here for six months, you're part of this story as well. I want to take all in what the Lord, what the Lord has done. Watch this video. And then we're going to, in light of that video, in light of Ephesians 3, we'll have much to pray about. And much to sing about. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your limitless power in your Son towards us, for your unending glory in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that because of your grace and your providential kind hand towards us, you saw fit to bring us to life in you. We thank you, Lord, by your kind grace and your providential hand. You put into the hearts of saints over 70 years ago to step out and start a new work in this part of this city and particularly to do it here. And God, we thank you by your kind grace and your sweet providence that you did not Go without a witness all these years. Yes, there may have been seasons where the, the flame was brighter. But God, we thank you especially for the seasons when the, frame, the, the flame may have felt like it was flickering. From, from man's eyes. But we knew it wasn't. Because it's not dependent upon us. In your kind providence, you saw fit to bring new fanning to that flame. And God, I thank you that we get to take part in what you're doing now. And God, we do want to reflect. We do want to say thank you. We do want to celebrate in remembrance. But God, not to just look back, but to trust you for the future. We believe you can do far more abundantly than all we could ask or even imagine because we've seen you do it in our own hearts and over these last five years. So God, give us faith to believe to pray boldly, to live more passionately, to love more deeply, to sacrifice more strongly. Because it's all worth it. It's all worth it. Because of your 
Son, and the glory of His great name in this world. We love you, Jesus. It's in His name we pray.